This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Behind the Influence, a production of iHeartRadio and TDC Media. To say that we always just kind of like went by the flow, I guess that's not completely true. Like we, we did have this vision of what Smosh could become. We've been friends for, for 19 years. So Since we yeah, were 10. The moment we did that, we found a remarkable increase in, in our sanity. There was a moment in time that I didn't know if Smosh was going to continue. Ian Hecox is in the house, guys. Hello. If you don't know who Ian is, what do you know? I know that was aggressive, but if you don't know that name, we got to uh, reevaluate life. Uh, I mean, the internet's a big place. I never assume anybody You're pretty big has on the ever internet. seen a video of mine, but... I assume so. And the reason you're here is because of that. You were one of the pioneers in the YouTube space. And not only did you pioneer in a world that a lot of people didn't understand back in 2005, by the way, yeah. when people weren't really doing the YouTube thing. Yeah. I mean, YouTube wasn't really a thing. It wasn't a at thing. That point. It, it just recently, I think in the last decade has become a thing. In 2005, it starts with a little, a silly video, just you and your friend. Yep. And did you ever know that it would turn into this empire that has employed so many people and made so many people so much money? And yeah, we had no no idea whatsoever. It was just us, you know, messing around with the webcam. We started with lip syncs. We did the Power Rangers theme song. That was our first lip sync. And then we did uh, Mortal Kombat and then Pokemon. And then the Pokemon theme song music video was the video that like really, really blew up. And for I think a year and a half, it was the most viewed video on YouTube. And back in the day, there was no discoverability on YouTube. So the only way that you could find quote unquote quality content, uh, which that video looking back is not, the only way you can find quality content is if you went to the most viewed page, like most viewed of all time. Okay, so all those videos that have the most views must be the best videos on YouTube. That would be the theory, but you know, our video is up at the top and it was but us why doing do you think? Why do you think it got so many views? Uh, is it because nothing else like that was on YouTube and you guys were just kind of creating your own lane. 
and people were curious because that's what I would think. Yeah. I mean, I think music is universal. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why all the top viewed videos are, are music videos. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing. Pokemon is, you know, the, the sort of global unifier who doesn't like Pokemon. At that time, a lot of people were doing lip syncs, but a lot of people were just kind of standing there and just lip syncing. But we were also throwing in jokes into it. So like kind of like criticizing the Pokemon while we were singing the song. Just the fact that like Pokemon in a strange way is like animal abuse. So we had some like jokes. I never, <laughs> I never thought of it. I don't mean to laugh, but I never thought of it. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're forcing it's, it's, it's no different than a, than a dog fight. And we don't allow that. No, we but, sure uh, don't. <laughs> so, so we, uh, we kind of made some, some jokes in the video. And I think that's what kind of made it stand out from the other sort of lip syncs is we actually had a take on it. I'm not saying like it's supreme art, but also back in the days of YouTube, you're not really competing with that much quality content. Anything that's like sort of above like the worst quality ever will, would automatically rise above everything else. So it had a little bit of thought behind it, some creativity and used music. What compelled you guys? First of all, for people who don't know, who did you do the video with? Yeah, so I did the video with my childhood friend, Anthony. We met in like the sixth grade and we did it out of sheer boredom. We had just graduated high school. I was 17. He might've been 17 as well. Yeah, at the time he was also 17. Did uh, you guys go to the same high school? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we went to the same elementary school, middle school, high school, best friends. And we were both bored. All of our friends were going off to real colleges. We were staying in Sacramento and we we're gonna go to a community college. So we were pretty bored over the summer. We had actually started making videos and posting them on MySpace before we even knew what YouTube was. And the only reason we found out about YouTube so early was because somebody had stolen our video and uploaded on YouTube. Wow. Yeah. So that's how we actually found out about YouTube was because somebody had ripped our content. Uh, so we started uploading. Kind of a compliment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So we started uploading on there. It started getting the views and to us over a hundred views was insane. Yeah. And at that time you could just refresh YouTube and see the counter go up. Mm -hmm. So like we would just like refresh and see like, Oh my God, there's five more views. Oh my God, there's 10 more views. So that was, that was a weird experience for us. What was monetization like back then? Did you guys even think that this was something you could make money from that no. early on? There was no way of monetization. I mean, like, I guess we, we had uh, sort of like the first uh, Patreon in a sense where we just not like solicited our viewers for donations, but we said like, hey, we want to film with more than just a webcam that's tied to the computer. We we would like a handy cam. So people actually donated money to us to buy a handy cam so that we can actually go beyond Anthony's uh, bedroom. And then we put their names and their like donation. I think we even put their donation amounts like on the screen of our videos. So like, at the end of the video, it's like, thanks to this person for donating $30. You're so ahead of the times because I yeah. feel like that was a very early iteration of what actually ends up happening. Right. If you fast forward. Yeah. And same wow. thing with, same thing with merch. So we wanted to keep doing it. And then once the Pokemon theme song music video was removed for copyright infringement, we were like, Hey, you know, we should probably start making more original content. That's not using other people's stuff. And so from that point on, pretty much we were, we were wholly original content, 
not using copyrighted music or you know images or whatever. So we then sort of transitioned to uh, sketch comedy, and that's kind of the road we went down. So sketch comedy for the first few years of YouTube was kind of like the king of YouTube. Like everybody wanted to do sketch comedy, and you know there's channels like Balloon Shop. That really peeves me off. Why would you knock the drink out of his hand? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? The Lonely Island. Uh, Lonely Island, obviously. Andy Samberg, Akiva, and Yorma, who then went on to SNL, and then bigger and bigger things. Hello, welcome to the party. Hi, I've never met you before. I know. Just two guys, and we're having a good time. Uh, Derek Comedy, which is where Donald Glover or Charles Gambino came from. Sad opposite day, everyone. A sad one to you too, sir. Sad opposite day, sir. <laughs> James, good evening. Sir, um, can I not ask you something about opposite day? No, no. But sketch comedy is really hard to continue, and it's expensive. It's more expensive than just doing a vlog. Like you need to like hire people, and you know, writing sketches and shooting it and editing it takes a little bit longer than normal kinds of things. So a lot of people burnt out on making sketches. You're right out of high school. What makes you think I'm qualified to be doing sketch? Because like you said, it's not just about hiring people like you could have the money. I know people who have all the money in the world, but if you're not a good writer, if you don't have good ideas, it's not going to fly. So how did you guys get to the place where you were qualified enough to do successful sketch comedy? I don't think we were qualified at all. <laughs> well, what, something made you think yeah. you were. I mean, it's really, we just kind of paid attention to the feedback on YouTube. And I know that's not always the best idea to read the comments, but uh, some people had some pretty constructive criticism, said our acting sucked and our ideas sucked. So we continued to go to community college, but only in classes that applied to whatever we were doing. So we took some acting classes, we took some writing classes, we took some improv classes, took some uh, film classes. And then once we burned out on those, once we did all those classes, we just left. But with, with sketch comedy, you know, it, it takes a lot of time. We were out of high school, so we were living in our parents' house. And, you know, we start to have bills. So you have to find some way to create an income. And so the choice was either, well, you try to find a job and then find some time to make sketches, or you can commit fully to creating sketches and try to build a business doing that. So that then turned our focus. What did family think about that? Family was totally down. They were I mean, down we, there. We weren't supportive. doing anything better. Well, because I think now it would be a lot easier for, you know, a 15 year old or 16 year old to convince their parents like, look, Jake Paul's making $22 million a year. So can I. 2005, 2006, whenever you were doing it, that was not the case. So you right. didn't have a case study to point to and say, these people are making a living doing this. I'm going to build an empire. You had literally nothing but your own drive and an idea. Yeah. And we had viewers. You so had viewers. I think my dad's an accountant, so he he kind of understands business. And I think... We had viewers, so that had to have meant something. And it's like, oh, well, if we're getting similar views to like a local TV show or something, like yeah. that, that's gotta that's gotta mean something. Like, there's gotta be a way to to monetize that. There was no way at that time in in regards to ad revenue. I remember our first brand deal we did for five hundred dollars. That was a big deal to us. But we, we found other ways of, of monetizing. We uh, started selling merch. And I think we were some of the first people on the platform to do that. We knew this like guy that worked out of a warehouse down the street that was a screen printer. Pretty sure he had one leg, but he never showed us. Um, but uh, we... I, I, need to, I need to find out. So we, 
so then we started like marketing our merch and like these little sort of like funny commercials at the ends of our videos. Oh my God, guess what? What? Look at my shirt. Holy gobstoppers. It's a no small shirt. We would have this guy screen print all the shirts. Then Anthony had a program that would take all the orders in with like their names and their addresses. And then we would package all the shirts ourselves. We would then load all the shirts into his car. And then we would drive to USPS and get very ugly looks from the workers there because we'd be mailing out maybe hundreds of shirts at a time. Oh, my God. Uh, but that was the way that we first sort of supplemented the income for for the business. That, I, was, that was so entrepreneurial. I knew I was going to fuck that up. Yeah. Every time I try to say that one, but you know what I mean, guys, entrepreneurial of you. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> we didn't have any, I mean, we didn't have any choice. It was like, that was our only option. It was try to sell merch to create an income to stay out of a job or work a job and not be able to create content. So, and you're so young to figure that out. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I probably had some advice from my dad too. Yeah. We didn't really have any other choice. It's just like, that was the only way to do it at the time. And you're still going to school at this point. Yeah. And what were you majoring in? Was it anything to do with this world? No, it was just general ed. We didn't really know what we wanted to do. I, I think Anthony thought he would get a business degree, but I think he didn't really know quite what that meant mm -hmm. he's just like i don't know business sounds nice and he was already he was running the website on his own so he kind of already had like a knack for entrepreneurial kind of like look at you he just things. said it the first time did i do it like did I say it, right? it was like butter <laughs> i'm really jealous you'll get it okay well. you know we we didn't have any sort of set plan and our parents didn't have any expectation for us to become lawyers or doctors. So there was nobody pushing us in a specific direction. So that kind of allowed us to kind of just see that this is a big opportunity, that it was our only chance to possibly take. So we just kind of went full into it. But just like they weren't pushing an agenda, it doesn't really sound like you necessarily had an agenda either. It wasn't like some people start a YouTube channel because the ultimate goal is to be an actress, a series regular, or they want to break into music. It just seemed like you guys were throwing things to the ceiling and seeing what stuck that you enjoyed doing. But it didn't seem like you had a, well, we're doing this because we want to be, you know, movie stars in five years. Yeah, I'm a very much go with the flow kind of guy. Mm -hmm. So for me, I didn't have aspirations, I guess I would say. <laughs> like I Well though, look at you. <laughs> you just fell into a lot of success. I know, I know. But but I think you <laughs> but know you worked very hard for I, that. I didn't have know? I didn't have any I didn't feel like I deserved anything. You know, I think a lot of people, actors, you know, they they put a lot of time into this dream of becoming an actor and then when they get sort of a taste of success then they feel like i deserve this mm. like anything anything that comes my way i don't feel like i deserved it i mean i worked towards it and it happened and then i just try to you know not take anything for granted and that's just kind of been the way that i've always kind of looked at our career it's like just kind of go with the flow go with like wherever this crazy thing is taking us would you say that that has a lot to do with the 15 plus years of success this brand that wasn't a brand at the time has seen because of your mentality and because of your attitude towards everything you were doing every day? Yeah, I think so. And I wasn't looking to use Smosh as a platform to become a television actor or uh, you know a director or anything. Like to me, all those things are awesome. And I love doing them and I'll take those opportunities if they come, 
but Smosh has always made the most sense to me as like, that's my sort of base. That's mm -hmm. what I understand. And it's what I think that we're good at and everything else is, is nice, but there's probably other people that are better at it than me. So you're creating content, you're making, you're getting little brand deals here and there. You're selling merch just to keep things afloat. When did it become something that you felt like wasn't a hustle struggle? It was more of like, okay, we have a system going and this is, this is a real business. Was there like a video that went viral? Was there a moment of validation? Can you remember a time when it felt real? Because I'm sure it took a while to feel like a real quote unquote, real job. Say in like 2007, mm -hmm. we were contacted by um, this guy, Barry Blumberg. He was um, a Disney television executive that had left Disney and he was kind of looking for the, the next thing to focus on. And he sort of saw, you know, online media as being this sort of next thing. So he started working with us and was like, if you guys want to do this for a long time, you need to start thinking of Smosh as like a comedy brand. Not so it was now Smosh. At this point, you had evolved into Smosh. Yeah. I mean, Smosh was a name that we had actually had since sophomore year of high school. Okay. Um, so that was not like evolved into the name Smosh. You guys always yeah. kind of called it Smosh. Yeah. That really worked out because like at the time of like the beginning of YouTube, everybody was like their channels were just like their names. If we didn't have Smosh, we might have called our channel like Ian and Anthony Productions, right? which doesn't exactly lend itself to longevity. But luckily we had this great name because it was a it was an inside joke that our friends had came up with. And then Anthony created a website for it. And then when the YouTube videos started picking up, we were like, well, let's just continue to have it tied to this Smosh name. At that time, it was just Anthony and myself as the faces of Smosh. And it was Barry that, you know, sort of said, if you guys want to be doing this 10 years, 20 years, whatever years down the road, it needs to be more than just you two. It needs to be a brand. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we weren't thinking of at the time. I don't think that was something anybody's thinking about at the time. Nowadays, every Instagram model is like, this is my brand. Everything my brand is, is happiness brand. and beauty and right. positivity. Everybody's thinking like what their brand is now. But back then it's like, no, our channel is like, we're just like two guys. But it made a lot of sense to say that we always just kind of like went by the flow that I guess that's not completely true. Like we, we did have this vision of what Smosh could become. I mean, just from the beginning, you screen printing your own merch. You may have been go with the flow and attitude of like where this goes, but you were very much um, proactive in everything that you guys did. Like yeah. the merch, the Patreon, your own version of Patreon. <laughs> yeah, that ended. Once we started like actually getting money from merch, we're like, okay, we can't just ask for money from people. We can't That's... just be like, can I have $5? Yeah, no, we, we we'll can. give you a shout out at the end. Yeah, we stopped, we stopped doing that. We were like, okay, that's just kind of, wrong and i'm not i'm not shit talking patreon i think patreon's great but you were um, not pa i mean we you were, were just saying five dollars please <laughs> yeah yeah we were like hey we'll show you on a video if you give us 30 bucks but yeah that that changed once that once i probably it paid for that i mean people do <laughs> i bet if we looked back it'd be like tatiana broccoli <laughs> <laughs> um so barry comes along 2007 this was i believe around the time when youtube started their partner program mm -hmm. 2007 2008 right yeah ish i think it's 2007 yeah yeah so that is when the partnership program i'm sure you were one of the very first yeah we were one of the first 10 channels actually for the partnership program youtube was like hey we'll pay you this 
base amount of money and we're going to put ads on your videos. And that was something we were nervous about at first because there had never been an ad on YouTube, like maybe on like a banner on the front page, but to have an ad play before the video or just at that time, it wasn't even pre-rolled. Pre-rolls weren't even a thing. It was just a pop-up. They put it in our videos. Our fans freaked out. They were like, what is this garbage? Oh, you guys sold out. We're like, well, we need to do this if we're going to continue to create videos. And, and at that time, like the audiences didn't really have an understanding of, oh, if they want to keep creating content, they actually need to make money doing this. Now everyone understands. And now like audiences are excited when they see YouTubers or, or Instagrammers or even TikTokers uh, get brand deals. They're like, they're like, yeah, get that money, get that money. But for probably the first six years or maybe even beyond that, whenever we did a brand deal, we just got shit on all the time. Was it the nature of the brand or was it any time you did a brand? Because I could see if a brand was like completely unaligned, people being like, why are you doing a Tampax? Not that you right. did that. I mean, but. You if know. they came, <laughs> if they came we, for me and they, you know, had some good, you know, we, we, we tossed some good creative back at them. Tampax hit, hit us up. I feel like if there was somebody that could pull it off, it'd be you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, you know, also some, some people were, were very young mm -hmm. and don't understand that, you know, when you leave your parents' house, you need to make money. And I think, you know, to, to a degree, like a lot of the things we were doing were brand integrations, which at that time, nobody had really done on YouTube. Obviously like television does it, you know, American Idol has a, coca-cola cup next to them but also a lot of those companies didn't trust online brands to to get their message across well so a lot of the messaging that we had to put into videos was insane like you have to say this slogan and you have to do this and you have to do that and it's like at that time a lot of brands didn't understand like no like allow this person to work your brand into the creative rather than forcing them to create what's essentially a commercial. I cannot relate more. I, I'm not going to name the company. I was working for a company that they did a deal with TurboTax, mm. which I'm on a red carpet for the Grammys. And they're like, work in TurboTax. I'm like, what do you fucking mean? <laughs> they So then I was like, so have you done your taxes, Miley Cyrus? Like oh. it was just in the way that they Big want. Oof. No, and they, they didn't, they weren't thinking ahead. And I think it's really great that they do trust content creators, but trust content creators to come up with a creative way to do it. Because, But I also think in everyone's defense, it was such a new concept. But I just remember being so uncomfortable being like, Lil Wayne, have you done your taxes? I mean, I'm not saying you didn't, but have you? It was just awkward. And I just remember being in these awful situations with these brands. TurboTax scarred me a little. Yeah. Shout out. I don't blame you. <laughs> Yeah, we had some pretty bad ones. And it was also just like they were very controlling about the creative and there'd be like silly, violent things that would happen in our videos. And they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Could the lawn flamingo not hit her in the head? You're like, uh, no, it has to hit her in the head. Like, yeah, it's just too violent. It's too violent. I'm sorry. Like, we don't want to promote violence. So it's just we we had to deal with a lot of that garbage. And I feel like brands are a little bit better now and they, they trust the creators a little bit more. Yeah, and now they sure. just, if they want to market their product to young people, they have to work with us because they're not watching television. No. We are the only option 
for these companies. And someone would much rather watch you throw a flamingo at someone's head to sell a product than like someone being like, you should get this product. It just, it doesn't work. If they're smart, but I mean, not every, not think, everybody's there yet. I think brands are definitely coming around. I'm seeing brands really trust content creators, especially on Instagram, these like short little videos and people are able to make up their own sketches to promote whatever. I'm seeing that a lot yeah. and it's very refreshing, but you're right. There's a lot of brands that still probably don't fully get it yet. A lot of the bigger brands are still very concerned about this idea of middle America where they think that everybody in quote unquote middle America is this sort of like very delicate, you know, very religious. Like if, if they say anything about uh, violence or sex, like they're going to leave this brand forever. And it's like, no, they're just people, mm -hmm. but they're very concerned about offending. If anything, I think people are so unaffected now and people want fun and a little bit more just lighthearted stuff, I think. And especially, I think the people that you're targeting, the millennials, I love that term, mm. but you know, you influence the millennial, the people that spend the most money. Those people, they want to see you doing it. So you start getting brand deals, money's coming in, you're dealing with content. This was still just you and Anthony at this point. Right. We're still the faces. Uh, we started, one One of the other things that, that Barry was kind of pushing for is early YouTube you're doing everything yourself. There was nobody that was really building a business off of YouTube. So, so there's no sort of guidelines on what's a healthy way to work on online. Every YouTuber is working seven days a week, 14 hours a day. And Barry was one of those people that was like, you need to treat this like a job. And in, in that way, you're taking the weekends off, you're hiring people to help you. The moment we did that, we found a remarkable increase in, in our sanity. And I think that's something that like I have always tried to preach to other YouTubers. I'm like, the moment you make any sort of extra income, like put the workload onto somebody else that can help you create content, whether it's editing or whether it's an assistant or whether it's a producer, like anybody that can take that workload off off what you're doing. Artists are very controlling about the thing they're putting out. So mm -hmm. they have this mindset that like, oh, but nobody can do it like me. And that's just not the truth for a lot of YouTube content. A lot of people are like, I, I just can't find an editor that understands what I'm doing. Like, I just, I just can't do that. And it's like, dude, there's a lot of very talented people out there. And like, as long as you just stay with them and teach them the sort of way that you create content, they can get there. Was it hard for you guys? Obviously you're starting to hire people you edited your own stuff from the beginning of time. Now other people are editing your content. Was that like a hard thing? Because it is hard to let go, like you said, if you're a creative. Was it hard for you? And were there any challenges with becoming bigger? Because in a sense, now you have Barry involved. It's not just you and Anthony sitting at a table collaborating, saying we want to do this. There's people invested and involved mm. that have an effect on your content. Was that hard for you? As far as like the creative and writing process goes, we were we were writing everything for the first maybe five or six years. So creatively, we were still we still had one hundred percent control. That's um, good. As it went on and as the channel expanded, we couldn't do everything. Mm -hmm. So we hired an editor. And then later on, when we started doing uh, another channel, we hired a, a writer who's actually still with us. So he's been with us for about nine years. I really believe in collaboration. I don't think I have the best ideas. I think I have ideas, but I'm perfectly okay with with passing them by somebody and say, hey, is this a good idea or is this a shit idea? And if they're like shit idea and they can explain why, then I'm okay with that. And for me, I think that collaborating with people is only going to create a better product unless you're 
a genius, then I don't unless know, you're, if you're Kanye West, yeah, and you yeah, just if you're Kanye, sit I, there. yeah, sure, sure, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but but I think you know, I think in most cases, uh, collaboration never hurts, or at least never hurts to run it by a second opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. So I read an article actually that said that on multiple occasions, I think it was like three or four different time periods between like 2008 and 2015, Smosh was the number one most subscribed to channel on YouTube. Do you pinch yourself when you think about that? Because it's massive, especially as we get later in time, like 2015, when there are so many content creators and so many YouTube channels. What do you think attributed to this consistency and success? Yeah, I think the thing is we were always doing the content that we wanted to do at the time. It, we were never chasing trends. Like the reason why we hit most subscribed four times was because a certain trend would hit or YouTube would shift an algorithm, then a creator would get this crazy bump, crazy bump in views, crazy bump in subs, then they would rise above everyone else. And then the algorithm would shift or trend would shift and then their content would no longer be favored. So then they would maybe sort of drop out of favor. But we were always just constant. Which is remarkable because it's not just like, oh, you guys took over 2008. It was like to be able to consistently be at the top, you've got to be evolving nonstop and knowing what your viewers want because your viewers are also growing. And so there's this like balance of like, what do we want to do as creators? Because you're evolving. And then what do our fans want? It has to be such a hard thing to balance and figure out like what the secret sauce is in a sense. But you guys figured it out. I mean, I mean, there's the algorithm is always shifting. So it's it's never it's never like, oh, we figured it out. We're good forever. Exactly. It's like, it's like you know, every once in a while I, we'll have something that will that will hit. and We'll be like, oh, OK, that works. So then let's kind of keep going down that route. But there's obviously people right now that are killing the game, killing it way more than us. Like we just look like little teeny tiny tadpoles compared to them because they've figured it out. But do you think it's a temporary figured it out? Like we, yeah. I think but so I think, too. I think as long as, as long as they're savvy, then, then they could probably stay up there forever as long as the YouTube keeps favoring that content. But you know, YouTube gets something like three hours of video every second or something like that. So what you see on YouTube is just this teeny tiny little tip of the iceberg above like all the other stuff on YouTube. So I've always kind of, you know, had this, this, uh, mentality that it could be over the next day. That's why we had always put focus on our website because we're like, okay, we can at least control whatever happens on the website. We own that. We own, you know, anything that happens there nowadays, you know, the sort of landscape online is completely shifted. Like you don't go to websites anymore. How many websites do you go to that aren't Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube? And you're not even, you're going to the app on your phone. You're not even like actually going to website. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Websites are irrelevant now. Right. It's, it's become completely whittled down to a few social media sites in, in my opinion. So our strategy of build the website that, that became less and less relevant as it went on. So we're like, okay, we just need to focus on social media then. Unfortunately, we don't we don't own that mm -hmm. so it's just kind of like our strategy has always been like don't discount the other social media like don't put all your eggs in one basket don't Meaning be just youtube yeah don't be just a youtuber like also be on facebook like we get a ton of views on facebook we're also on twitter and instagram not quite on snapchat that did you guys anymore. dabble in twitch at all well the thing with twitch is that <sighs> 
Twitch is in a weird kind of place in that if you want to be a prolific person on Twitch, you have to be able to stream something like five hours a day. I mean, you it's, have to consistently be on Twitch yeah. to even for and anyone we, to even notice you. We've had good meetings with the people at Twitch, and I think it's an awesome platform. Absolutely. And I'd love for us to be on it. Like, I'd love to find a way for us to be on it. But if it's going to take me being on Twitch for five hours a day, three times a week, I just physically can't do that with all the other stuff we do. So I totally believe in Twitch and I think it's a great platform. I'm interested to see what happens with the sort of public opinion on the creators on there, because I think I think a lot of the creators on there are being worked to the bone. I mean, just in the news this week with streamers and people who are in competitive gaming, like all the news that came out with Base yeah, Clan yeah. and... It's a whole world for sure. The thing I love about Twitch, and I'm sure this is one of the reasons you love it, is the real-time interaction with your fans. Mm -hmm. That like You can't beat that. But I know that you guys do interact and you have engagement on YouTube, and I'm sure you do Facebook Lives and things like that that mm -hmm. allow you to connect. But you would think, because you guys do fall into the, the gaming category, that it would be a natural, Some, but not... Yes, but it's, it's a little... It's different for us because we've never been about competitive gaming. Exactly. So like a lot of times brands will come to us and they'll be like, so Smosh, eSports. And we're like, no. You're like, have not. you seen my content? Yeah. Like our, so we have Smosh Games, which is another channel right. that we have. And that's our, that's our gaming stuff. But none of us are good gamers. We're our sort of outlook on gaming for, for Smosh is it's, it's a group of friends having fun. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how it's always been. And none of us are particularly good at it. That's one side of Twitch is like people that competitively play people that are good. You have the ninjas and the mm -hmm. T fuse of the world. That's definitely not us. And I think there's, there's obviously room for both. Mm -hmm. You were talking about how you in your head always said this could end any day. And there've been some close calls in the career. We got to touch on it, Yeah, but you're still going strong. You specifically are still, you know, carrying out the Smosh legacy. Anthony's no longer um, a part of the brand, but still a very close friend of yours. Can you just, for people who may not be aware of, there were things in the last, I would say like five years that affected the brand and, and how you kind of rolled with those times. So yeah, I say five years is probably a good, a good distance to go back. So, you know, one of our, the big direction we want to go with Smosh was grow Smosh beyond Anthony and myself. Sort of the idea that I'd always had is, you know, you look at Smosh like a Saturday Night Live that has a, a cast of talent. We would be the sort of Lauren Michaels of the Saturday Night Live. And that's the direction that I've always wanted to go. I don't think I need to be the star of the channel forever. And I still want to be heavily involved, but I think you know, if, if you look at our content now, we have people like Shane Top, Courtney Miller, Olivia Sway, like it's just incredibly talented people and they bring something to the table that I can't bring. Just, you built that table. You yeah. better not forget it. <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm also just like a white guy from suburban. You're white. Surprise. <laughs> I'm just a, a white dude from suburban Northern California. Like I, I have a certain life experience that I can draw from. But the beauty of comedy is that it comes from life experience. So I can only tell one side of comedy. So if I can bring in people from all walks of life to tell their sort of side, then that's representing more of the country or the world. All these people start joining on 
you guys get acquired a couple of times, right? I mean, not specifically Smosh, but through changing hands a few times. Can you talk us through the different companies that you kind of had to associate with along the way and then sever ties with? Yeah. So I think the very, very first thing was we we needed to grow beyond what we were capable of becoming on our own. So in 2011, I think, we sold Smosh to a company called Alloy Digital. And they were a company that they were starting to acquire other digital entertainment properties, one of which you know very well, Clever, which was an entertainment news company. So for us, it was, it was a chance to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And it was obviously a risk, but every choice in business is is a risk. And at the beginning, it seemed like a really, really good idea. Obviously, they they helped us grow to a point that we couldn't have gotten to ourselves. So I'm not saying it was all a bad thing. I think that they helped us greatly. And I mean, we were, we were paid just fine doing it. So it's not like it wasn't a totally bad bet. So eventually, Alloy then merged with Break Media, famous for the Break website, which was at the time just... Uh, I think it was a lot of like, oh, here's a girl in a bikini. That was kind of their business model, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of that content. But uh, so anyway, they they merged and became Defy Media. Then they uh, would acquire more brands. And I was like, okay, that's fine. They, they, they gave us so much creative freedom to do what we wanted to do. They didn't meddle in that side of our business. So in that respect... They were great. Apparently, they made some bad business bad business decisions, and the company effectively collapsed, which left Smosh in a weird place because I didn't own it anymore, but it was no longer in their possession. There was a moment in time uh, late last year that I didn't know if Smosh was going to continue. Somebody very wonderful at Defy gave me access to the logins to the YouTube channels. During the downtime legally, we, was this I don't a- know. I think <laughs> I think for I think it was wise for all parties to to allow us to create content and keep the channel alive because the bank that was selling the properties obviously they don't want a depreciating asset. So for us to continue to create content and keep the brand alive, that's just but you were for you were creating content, not getting paid, just Correct. just hoping to keep this thing alive, which you did. Yeah. So I think- That's really know, interesting, I didn't know that. People were getting paid and people actually put in a lot of work. Our our longtime director, Ryan Todd, who's been with us for 10 years, he he's living up in Sacramento. He was flying down to help us shoot these videos with no pay on his own dime. And our cast also not getting paid. They were coming, like we had some crew people, like longtime crew people showing up to help us shoot. They're all doing it for no pay. It was just like, it was a really cool thing to to sort of see, like, this is something that we all put work into and to see people, you know, have a commitment to it at that level is really, really awesome. Well, it goes to show that people really believed in the, in the brand and the product. Right. I mean, you've been in this for so long. They're basically saying we, we believe in your baby and we don't want it to go away. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, everyone believed in it and they and they believed in what it could still do in the future. So Well, it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. I mean, I I set out to try to pull together investment to pull it out myself. The timeline was too crazy for that. And then last minute, Rhett and Link stepped up. Rhett and Link were also longtime YouTubers. 
They run a show called Good Mythical Morning. They are also childhood friends like Anthony and myself. And they they stepped up and they acquired Smosh and it's been really, really awesome. And now we can announce that Rhett and Link have bought Smosh and made us a part of Mythical Entertainment, which we are so excited about because they are creators helping creators. It really is an awesome thing. We get to do whatever we want and we're super, super excited. That That's so great. I mean, this is, you don't hear stories like the story of Smosh, which is why I really wanted you to come in because you guys defied every odd. You stayed true to who you were. You didn't kind of, as we touched on, you didn't roll with the trend. You kind of just stayed consistent. And because of that consistency, you gained new fans, but then I'm assuming a lot of your day one fans are still with you. There, there has to be because our be. our demographics are. I mean, it's it's What's 18 your... to 24 is the largest demo, but then the second largest demo, according to YouTube, and obviously right. I'm sure there's kids that are using their parents' accounts, but our second largest demo is is 24 to 35. So those are like the day one. I think so. Yeah. So there's definitely there's definitely a group of legacy viewers, people that have been watching since the beginning or relatively since the beginning. And then there's the people that are that are just now finding Smosh. That's incredible. And so Anthony is no longer with Smosh. Right. You guys are still good friends, I assume. Yeah, we stay in touch. Was it hard for you to make the decision to stay or was that just not even an option not to when your other half essentially leaves? Yeah, we definitely talked about it because he, he told me like, hey, I'm you know, thinking about leaving and and he asked me to keep it a secret for a little bit while, for a little while so he could sort of get prepared mm -hmm. and obviously i honored that anthony is leaving smosh this is not clickbait no this is not a sketch i just need to do what's best for me and that right now for me is to focus on creating stuff as an independent creator on my own channel and that's something that i fully support and i cannot wait to see what Anthony goes out there and, and creates. I'm, I'm excited for him. Thank you. I like how I'm talking about you, like <laughs> literally right next about to you. About me? I'm excited for you. Did you feel pressure to jump ship with him? Just no. because you had started it together or were you just? He he asked me if, if I wanted to leave and, and he was like, are you, you, are you thinking about leaving? I was like, ah, it just doesn't feel right. It's just not, it doesn't feel like the right time. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of those kinds of decisions, you just have to trust your gut. You might not be able to put it into words why, but like I feel like there's so much more we could do with Smosh. And I think it's such a cool brand. And for me, the ability to employ, you know, 30 people is, is a source of pride for me, for myself. And I think what he did like he, he needed to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think what he did was selfish in any way. Also being a, being a solo creator isn't attractive to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like I said, I like collaboration. I, and you guys were the dynamic duo. It was just, it was Ian and Anthony. So right. that had to be a, a transition for you as well. Well, at that point there was already the, the other cast. So that, that was something that was started maybe about four years ago. Mm -hmm. And the company that was, you know, defy, they were very insistent on like forcing them into the content. Like, okay, they're just going to be in the videos now. Are we talking about like the Sohinkies and the Jovens of the world? And well, that was Smosh Games, but yeah. But so they were also they doing were also, crossover right. into some of your content. Yeah, right. Yeah. But that made a little bit more sense because we were starting a whole new channel. And it's like, they're mm -hmm. gamers and you yeah. know, we're gamers. So that, that made a lot of sense. But it was the people like Courtney Miller, Shane Top, Got Keith it. Leak, 
no Grossman, Olivia's way. So you didn't feel completely on your own in this sea of what do I do? You Not had at all. you had a great team. At, at the at the point that Anthony left, our channel was more than just Ian and Anthony by the, by the time he left. Yeah. But there was obviously some really painful transition periods when we started introducing the cast four years ago mm. because the company insisted on just throwing the people in there and like, that's not how YouTube works. This right. isn't the Disney channel. You can't just hire a bunch of young people and throw them on and expect people to be okay with that. Were you in a position that you could voice that? No. No. I mean, I voiced it. We but both you weren't in it. a position where it had weight because now right. this... The company, huge yeah. company, is just they're like too bad we're paying them, so you need to use them. I mean, for us and myself, you know, I, I'll go with the flow. So it's like, okay, if you say so, and we tried to do it in an, as natural of a way as, as possible. But with YouTube, you can't lie. You can't. Well, you can, but it eventually it catches up to you. Uh, <laughs> but you can't like bullshit your way through your content. So well, no, your fans would call you out in two seconds. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people were like, who are these new people? Why are they doing this? And it was very clear. It, it had to happen. I think it could have been a little bit softer of a, of a transition, right. but it happened. Some people got mad, but then people then realized like, oh, they're literally just helping the content be better because you can't just continue to do the same thing for 14 years, like you have to evolve and it can't just be Ian and Anthony sitting in a living room on a couch for every single sketch. And that's what it was for, for what felt like too long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in hindsight, 15, 14 years later, you can whisper into young Ian's ear and tell him one piece of advice that might make things transition smoother, business deals better. Would there be something that you would in hindsight tell younger Ian? I don't think so. I mean, I think obviously there was, there was things that didn't work out, but that's but just still worked of, out in a sense. Yeah. I mean, whether it was like a bad brand deal and we got backlash or, you know, some sort of bad business deal or like, Oh, we hired this person and they weren't great. Like that's all part of learning. So whatever bad things happened, they happened and we became better because of it. Absolutely. It actually shaped your journey and probably taught you, you know, how to get over the hurdle and you guys are thriving now. How many, I think I've saw 24 million subscribers across. I might, I might even be shortchanging uh, you. I think we're 25 something. Yeah, I shortchanged you. Subscribers. We were, we were stuck. We were stuck at 22 million for like I think like a year because just our content was not was not in the right place. And then once once we got things correct and we started doing the things that we felt like we needed to do, it immediately changed. Can you wrap your head around? It's a big number. Twenty five million people wait for your content. Well, I mean, that's, that's subs. a lot. That's subs. And that's also people that subscribed maybe eight years ago that it's are that have moved on. So it's not necessarily 25 million people that are watching. Okay, content, fine. But, but still, I mean, starting from a couch doing lip singing videos, fast forward 14 years, you've built an empire that huge behemoths of companies have wanted to buy. It started on a couch, you and your best friend. That's got to be a pinch me. It's weird. 
It's pretty weird. I mean, you're so in it. It's your life. So you probably don't see it that way. But from the outside, it's an insane story. I I agree. It's insane. And thank you for sharing it with us today. Absolutely. I'm really excited to see where Smosh goes in the next couple of years. Do you have any, do you have a vision for what you think? Let's not even do a big one, but like, where do you see the, where do you see Smosh in the next year? Let's go like super small. Yeah. Well, we, we got back on our feet in February with Mythical Mm -hmm. and if these past four months are indicative of where we're going, then I feel very, very positive about our future. That's awesome. It's been, it's been nothing but good shit. The shit's going to get better and better. That's like right. Like the biggest, best shit you've ever seen. Yeah. And, and you know what? We're ending on that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm really excited for everything that you have going on. Big, big things. Big, big shits. Yeah. Well, thank, come, you, thank you for having me on here to talk about my shits. <laughs> All day. You can always come and talk about your poo. All right. I just said poo and we're definitely just going to cut right now. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Behind the Influence is a production of iHeartRadio and TDC Media. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.